But are we at this point expecting history uh, to change? And then Jesus comes back into Jerusalem on the Tuesday morning. No doubt those who'd welcomed him in had gone back and told their friends, yes, he's come, this is the one we've been looking for. I should think, I should think numbers of people were um, uh, excited by his presence. And he comes back into that temple on the Tuesday morning. And that's when our reading happens. It says, then Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the merchants from their stools. He told them, the the scriptures declare, my temple will be a place of prayer, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. What a stir he would have caused by doing that. This was their business for the merchants. This is what they did. This is where they hung out. This is what, what they were about. The people knew them as merchants that they bought their sacrifices from. They might be a little pricey, but at least they were there. No one had actually challenged them before. These were people who had the permission of the priest, by the way, that those who had so much say, so much authority in the community. And it then says, after that, Jesus taught daily in the temple, but the leading priests and the religious leaders of the law and other leaders with the other people, began planning how to kill him. But they could think of nothing to do because the people hung on his every word. There was this huge division. The religious leaders were fuming at what he'd done in the temple. They were fuming well before that. They were fuming at the way he'd been, at what he'd been saying, at what he'd been teaching. And now he'd come and disrupted them in their own place. Now I want to pause on that fact for a moment. I want to pause on the fact that Jesus went back to the temple. Because the people had hoped he'd be their Messiah. And they saw their Messiah as redemption, bringing, lifting them out of the state that they were in, and the state that they were in, they could see, was living under Roman oppression. The state that they were in was this physical place in which they lived, that they hadn't yet uh, been able to break free of. They weren't able to worship as they felt they should worship, to live as they felt they should live, to be the people that they felt they should be. Instead, they lived under this, uh, these authorities. And maybe they would have expected him to attack the fort where the Roman army were garrisoned. Maybe they would have expected him to attack the house of Pilate. They might have thought that after all his teaching, he would have at least come in and challenged the Roman authorities, those under whose oppression they lived, those under this enemy rule that they were subjected to. But he doesn't attack any occupying Romans. He attacks the temple. He attacks the heart of Judaism. The people must have wondered. The leaders were most certainly rattled. He attacks the soul of the nation, the most respected and the elevated. He attacks the most trusted people in the land, those who ostensibly represented God. He attacks the most corrupt of all things in Jerusalem, religion. That's what he attacks. 
he attacks the religion that they had built. He attacks the form of religion that they had built. And it's a stunning thing that he does it. Against all that the people thought he would do, he comes in and attacks the religious leaders. And I think it, he does it because I think of two things. I want to think of three little things tonight, but two reasons why he does it. One, he realizes the people misunderstood his mission. And he realizes that the leaders misunderstood his mission. Now, we have to remember, he's right at the end of his life. I don't know what you think. It's Tuesday, you're going to be crucified on Friday. I've got a few short days. You're not going to go, oh, never mind, we'll talk about that next week, are you? That doesn't quite work, does it? You're going to go, it matters now. This is really important. So everything he teaches and does in this last week has got some real energy about it. It's poignant in so many ways. And he says, I want you to hear this now. I'm not going to waste time trying to please you. I'm not going to bring my words out with nice gentleness. I'm going to tell you exactly what I think, exactly what I think of the way in which religion has done so much harm. Let me just pick up on those two things and then I want to uh, come into land with something else. The people misunderstood his mission. The people were looking for a Messiah. They had this promise of salvation to them. Someone was going to come and redeem them, save them, lift them up out of where they were, give them this new lifestyle. They, their, their, their hope of this Messiah was that they were going to be redeemed from the regime and authority of their Roman oppressors. Uh, oppressors. They were going to be uh, people free to live as they believed God called them to. They'd be free to follow their faith and manage their own affairs and to support one another in the way that they felt they, sh- they should because of their beliefs. They'd be free to be the people of God again. They're looking for a Messiah. And they uh, had thought that Jesus was the one. Now, now, just before I expand this a little further, remember the end of the reading. The people still hung on his every word. They were waiting. They weren't upset like the leaders were. They were going, well, it's got to be something else because... This man has performed so much. He has done so much. We still believe in him, in a sense. But they they believed for the wrong thing. They thought that he was going to free them from the, the Roman government, those who stopped them being the people of God that they so desperately wanted to be. They looked for him to overthrow the authorities and restore the nation. They looked to him to answer their immediate needs. But Jesus said that they'd misunderstood his mission. The reason he goes to the temple rather than the Roman garrison, rather than to Pilate's house or any other place of authority, is because the place he's going to redeem is their hearts. He says that's ultimately what imprisons you. That's ultimately what condemns you. And the lives he's going to redeem are not just the few who lived then. If he had redeemed then... Well, there may be two million people that go to that Passover. But you know, 
that would have been a moment in history and it would have gone past and no one would have recorded perhaps it much. There'd have been a change of authority. We don't know. It would have all worked itself out over a number of years, but it had been long forgotten. But Jesus, I, I haven't come just for now. It's not just about two million people. It's about millions upon millions upon millions of people. It's about you and me as well. That's what he was working towards. It was the worship of God that was under threat. And they got it wrong at the very heart of their faith. They got it wrong in their head office, as it were. They got it wrong in the temple. You see, Jesus' whole ministry was focused on the spiritual. It was always focused on that which concerns people's relationship with God. He's concerned about true worship. He's concerned about the worship of God and the manner that is worthy and um, the, the manner of that worship to ensure that it is worthy and honouring to God. In his conversation with the Samaritan woman, he says God seeks worshippers, true worshippers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. This is what God's after. He's not after religious people. God protect us from religion. It's not about religion. Religion is such a dangerous thing. Religion is what causes wars. Religion is what causes hatred. Religion is what causes division. Religion is what you read about in the press. God is interested in faith. He's interested in worship. He's interested in your heart and my heart. That's what he's interested in. And you know, you know what? Not that I would want anybody to write about it at all, but no newspaper ever writes a story of a, a church redeeming uh, a young mum in our home in Southall. No one would write that story because it's just a little bit of good news. They look for the bad news. They look for the religious news. But you know, we're not about that. We're, we're about the news that changes people's lives, that changes people's hearts, that brings hope. You know, a lot of our life is about worship. It's about how we go out and worship. I like, I like the worship in here. I love it. I love the worship in here in the evening. The drums are a bit louder. I like that. I like, I like the noise it makes. I can sing louder and no one can hear me. It's marvellous. I love it. I love that whole energy that it has to it. That's exciting stuff. That's very good, Miriam. You're such a good worship leader, wherever you are. She's probably gone out, but anyway, it's fine. I think it's very good. But the thing is this. Your work is worship. Your schoolwork is worship. That's bad news, isn't it, if you're a school? Your schoolwork is worship. It's important you do it well. Yeah. Your college work is worship. Your university work is worship. Your studies are worship. Your going to work is worship. It doesn't matter whether you sweep a floor, empty a bin, serve in a bank till, deal in insurance, whatever. You, it doesn't matter. It's worship. How we do that is really important. And that's what Jesus was about. He's saying, look, you've got it wrong in the temple. You've got it wrong in the head office. How, how are the people going to get this if you're abusing it here and creating a religion? It's not about that. He says it's about we live, how we live our lives in worship. Our whole, our whole life should be focused as an act of worship to our Heavenly Father.
Everything we do, in, in everything we do, we should be aware of the spiritual realm. Not just purely concerned with earthly things. Jesus said it's got to be about our worship. And the people misunderstood this. But listen to this reading. They hung on his every word. Why? Because they were hungry for salvation. They were hungry for someone to come and show them a new way. They were hungry for someone to come and show them a different way. Jesus' response to their misunderstanding is to teach them. That's what it says. They hung on his every word. We don't have all of that recorded, but I would love to have sat under that teaching. I'd love to have heard what he said in that place. We have just a few words in a sense. But what would he have shared with them then? Look, 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 it's not about sacrificing a pigeon or a goat or a ram or whatever. It's not about, it's, it's about your heavenly father. It's about how you live your life. Not just here in the temple. You can, it, 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 it's about what you do Monday through Saturday. As well as what you do here on a Sunday. They were hungry for someone to come and show them a new way. He says it's not about who sits in power in Jerusalem, but rather who sits in power in your heart. Who is your Lord and Saviour? Who is your Master and King? The one you are called to follow. He's the one we're to go after. Okay, I'm going to do something quite risky now. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But if we could just have this microphone up, Toby, that would be great. Let me just ask somebody a question. Katie, just tell me who you are. I'm Katie. Yeah. Um, I'm an intern here at St. Paul's. Yeah. Um, I'm from New Zealand. Yeah. Um, what's the right answer? I'm a Christian. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> um... Yeah. I'm 23. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Katie, let me tell you who you are. You're beloved of God. The thing is, we, we define ourselves in different ways, don't we? That was very unfair of me to do that on you. But we define ourselves, don't we define ourselves by so much around us. Who am I? Well, this is who I am. We say it, we meet someone, don't we? Within a few minutes, we're going, well, what do you do? And we define them by that. But do you know what? Do you know what? God doesn't do that. He defines you as his child. You're beloved of your heavenly father. He says, that's who you are deep down. And that's what they'd lost in the temple. That's what the leaders and the priests had redirected the people's worship away from that. They go, well, we're defined by the size of the sacrifice we bring or the, the sins that condemn us or, or our, our, our inadequacy against who you are, oh, great high priest. And Jesus says, look, kick all of that out, for goodness sake. Come and meet the God who says, I love you and I want you. I want you as my child and I want you to understand that you're my child. You are beloved of your heavenly father. That's who you are. You're not Katie who's 22, did you say? 23, you don't look at Katie. <laughs> you're, 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 that's not who you are. 
It might be your parents called you that, that's helpful. We can call you something therefore, that's helpful, rather than that girl from New Zealand. It's really helpful. But do you know who you really are? Is your beloved of God. That's who you are. That's who you are. That's who you are. That's who you are. Do you see, you're beloved of God. You're his child. And through the temple, they'd lost that. They'd lost that sense of real, raw faith. That when we go into our school or our college or our place of work or wherever it is, we take something of God with us because we're not just going in as us. We're not going in defined by our boundaries. We're not going in defined by our lives, but rather we're going in defined by how God sees us. And if we know that, oh, what joy that he can work through us into the lives of others. You see, the people misunderstood the mission of God. Sometimes we still misunderstand it. Sometimes we still put our own boundaries around ourselves. Who am I? Oh, I'm Mr. Inadequate or Mrs. Inadequate. God sees you with eyes and heart that are hungry to love you and to know you. Secondly, the leaders misunderstood his mission. I'm going to have to hurry up or you're going to get bored of me. The leaders misunderstood his mission. The leaders thought that he'd come down to undermine them. They thought that he'd come down to disempower them, to take over from them what they were doing. Nothing could have been further from the truth. They spent his whole three years of ministry trying to catch him out, trying to stop him doing the very thing he wasn't bothered about. He didn't want to take over from them. He didn't want their seat of authority. He couldn't care. Why? But they didn't understand. They misunderstood his mission. In fact, what they were doing was they were building a, a very um, a dangerous scaffold up towards God themselves. And he was going, you're never going to get there that way. It doesn't matter how many pigeons you buy. It doesn't matter how many rams you sacrifice. It makes no difference. You'll only get to him if you truly understand who he is and his love for you. And his heart for you. And you know that the sad thing is that is that for each and every one of those leaders, Jesus had an equal heart for them. Because you know who they were? They weren't leaders, they weren't Pharisees, they weren't Sadducees. They were beloved children of God. They just misunderstood. They misunderstood again his mission. They misunderstood what he'd come to do. They misunderstood his heart for them. But they so wanted to protect their own thing. They so wanted to protect their own lives. They so wanted to protect their own ministry and their own futures here on earth, that they misunderstood his mission. Isn't that interesting that they were so focused on who they were that they failed to see themselves through the eyes of God? Doesn't that sometimes happen with us? This is just who I am. Well, you're not actually, you're, you're a child of God. That's who you are. You're beloved of God. That's who you are. And these leaders equally were beloved of God. They had abused their positions and tried to uh, shore up their own 
earthly future. But they've missed, they missed with Jesus himself in their midst, they missed the presence of God. So the people misunderstood and the leaders misunderstood. Final point, but Jesus knew what he was doing because he understood. He knew his mission. He knew what he was about. And this is what he was about. He was about calling the people back to him. That's what he was about. The story of the people of God throughout Scripture is the same story that goes on with God now. In the Old Testament, when the people of God went away from God and started to ignore him, our Heavenly Father sent the prophets and said, come back to me. Come back, come back, come back, come back. That's all the prophets came to do. They just came with one message. Come back to God. That's what they did. And when their message was heard, the prophets disappeared. And the people of God lived in the presence of God. And when they got comfort in the presence of God, they began to forget who God was because life was going okay for them. And when they began to forget who God was, God the Father sent another prophet. And the prophets came along and said, come back to God, come back to God, come back to God. And finally the people heard the prophets and came back to God. And then God let them be again. And as they went along, they were doing okay. And when they were doing okay, they forgot God again. And God sent the prophets again, come back to God. And Jesus came with that same message. He came to the people who sacrificed in the temple. He came to the people who had this struggle to connect with God. Jesus came with one mission. And his mission was this, come back to God. Come back to God. I'm going to build the bridge. I'm going to make the way possible. I'm going to give you access to our Heavenly Father like you've never had access before. But his mission was one very simple mission. Just come back, would you? Come back to God. Would the people come back? Would the leaders come back? Would the church come back? Jesus said it's all about heart-to-heart connection. It's all about relationship you know today is um is father's day and uh um i think on father's day it's just a wonderful thing i think father's day is a wonderful thing because i think you know you get a cup of tea in bed in the morning i didn't get that and you get breakfast in bed in the morning i didn't get that and you don't have to do the washing up i didn't get that but you know, that's, sort of, that's what you should get, isn't it? We're a bit of a busy day. But, but this is what it's about. It's about celebrating the love of the Father, isn't it? That's what it's about. And you know, if the Father, if the Father had any message for us today, this would be, this would be it. Come back to God. Come back to God. Don't define yourself by your age or by your looks, or by your wealth, or by your intellect, or by anything else that you define yourself, that other people put on you. Don't do that. You know who you are? You're a child of the living God. You're loved by him. 
That's who you are. And you know, your Heavenly Father, he'd say, come back to me, would you? I, I think today, that was Jesus' message. He overturned the tables in the temple because the people misunderstood his message. He overturned the tables in the temple because the leaders were getting in the way of the message of God. He overturned them and he said, look, this is to be a place of prayer. What's prayer about? Prayer is about heart-to-heart connection with God. Prayer is about communication. Prayer is about your father speaking to you and you speaking to your father. Prayer is about coming back to God. Prayer is about is an, is, is a, prayer is an act of, of dependence on God. If you're not praying, you're going, I can do it on my own. I'm okay. I can bowl through life. It's okay. I don't need God. But he says the house of God should be a house of prayer. Why? Because prayer says, I I need God. I need God in my life. I I realize I can't do it on my own. Because actually I don't want to be defined by, by the boundaries that other people put on my life. I just want to be defined by my Heavenly Father who says of me, you're a beloved son of God. And he says of you, you're a beloved daughter of God or a beloved son of God. And prayer defines that in our life. Prayer makes that work in our life. Prayer is our daily constant reminder that we're to connect with God. And in so doing, everything we do and everything we're about is spiritual. Your schoolwork is spiritual. Your university work is spiritual. Your daily grind is spiritual. It should change it. It doesn't matter whether you're adding up figures or sweeping a street or whatever you're doing. It's a spiritual act. It's an act of worship to God. We're helping community work. And in so doing, we're defined not by our roles or by our salaries or by anything else. We're defined by our Heavenly Father who says, Well done, my good and faithful servant, for what you do to make this world work. So I come with a very simple message. It might not sound very simple, but it is. And the message is this, come back to God. That's what I felt the Lord said I've got to say tonight. I know it took me a long time, but I'm a preacher, so I have to take a long time doing it. But I said, it's the Lord saying, come back to God. And I think... I think, dare I say, I think there are some people here tonight, you know you've got to come back to God. There are some people here tonight, you know you've got to come back to God. Because it's become a bit religious. It's something we do, rather than who we are. Because you're not known by your name and your age by God you're known just as his child and he knows you independently and he knows every hair on your head and he knows every breath you take and he created you uniquely to be you and he loves you far greater than anybody could ever love you would you stand with me
Now let's just take a moment, shall we? Just take a moment. I wonder if the Lord's spoken to you tonight. I wonder if the Lord has spoken to you because maybe you've, well, maybe just, you know, once you've, you've known that carefree abandon of your life to God. But maybe it's become a little bit religious. Or, or maybe, maybe it's been a while since you've connected with God. Maybe you've not prayed for a long time. And it's just like you're bowling on through life, managing on your own. And the Lord tonight says, come back to me. That's his message. That's his that's his word tonight. That's what, truly what I believe. He says, come back to me. And we can pray, you know, we'd love to pray for anybody, for anything at all tonight. But um, I felt very strongly that was the word. If that was the word, I believe there are people here that that is the word for. And I think we should pray for you. And I think that would be a good thing. So if that's you, if you know tonight the Lord said to you, come back to me, why don't you just come out to the front now? Come on out. The ministry team can come out, that would be great. Just come on out to the front now. If that's you, the Lord said, come back to me, come, come to the front now. Come to the front. I know it's a big thing to step out, but come to the front anyway. That's it. Just come to the front. I need some ministry team up here. Can we do that? The Lord says, come back to me. Well, come. Come now. 